You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. It's really been all about Peter. And if you include the year that we spent in 1 Peter before we started the book of Acts, then that's really two years that we've been talking about Peter. And Peter has occupied our focus for all of Acts chapter 12, or Acts, chap- Acts chapters 1 through 12. And not completely just Peter, but Peter is really the primary instrument, the primary mover, the shaker, the primary speaker. He's really the one that is in, in, in responsible leadership of the church. He is the one that is overseeing the growth of the Christian church through Acts chapters 1 and 12. There are other players who kind of come onto the scene. You remember we've talked about Philip. We've talked about uh, uh, Paul. We have talked about Stephen. But primarily those guys are really Luke's window dressing to discuss Peter and his ministry and his role in the worldwide spread of the gospel. So now it's time that we say goodbye to Peter. As fast as our eyes can change from Acts chapter 12 to Acts chapter 13, Luke changes main characters on us from Peter to Paul. And it's quick. And it's sudden. It's like changing channels on a television set. You move from Peter to Paul. And you start reading through Acts chapter 13 and you think, okay, Luke's going to mention Peter again and how he plays into all of this. But he doesn't. He only mentions Peter one more time. And that's in Acts chapter 15 when Paul comes back to Jerusalem and really Luke uses Peter as window dressing to talk about Paul. So now the emphasis has gone from Peter to Paul. And so we have to say goodbye to Peter. When you and I think about the worldwide impact of the gospel and the spread of the Christian church and the influence in the first few centuries of Christianity, who do you think of? You think of Paul, likely. Well, Peter was no slouch, you know. There's a reason why Luke gives 12 chapters to Peter, and it's not just to introduce us to Paul. Paul is the hero of the book of Acts, no doubt. But you look at what Peter accomplished in the time that God gave him and what he did, and it really is quite phenomenal what he did and and how he did all that he did. For instance, it was Peter who oversaw the growth of the church from 120 people in a little room to 3,120 people on the day of Pentecost, an influx of 3,000 people into the church on the day of Pentecost. Peter was there for that. He preached the sermon. So he oversaw the baptism, the discipleship, and the teaching of this new church consisting of 3,000, but it quickly, almost overnight, jumped up to 5,000 men, not including women and children in Acts chapters 4 and 5. It was Peter who oversaw all of that teaching and discipleship. It was Peter who oversaw the benevolent ministry of the needy within the church as the people sold their lands and their houses and brought the proceeds to the apostles to be distributed to everyone as they had need. That was Peter who oversaw that. It was Peter who oversaw the institution of what is today recognized as the deacon ministry or the office of a deacon in Acts chapter 6 when the distribution of benevolent funds became too much for the apostles to oversee and they had to make a decision. Are we going to continue to do this and preach the Word or are we going to give ourselves to the preaching of the Word and let other people who are gifted to do this do this? It was Peter who oversaw that. It was Peter who guided the church through three major persecutions. Do you remember? First, under the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees 
in Acts chapters 3, 4, and 5. Then under Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, in Acts chapter 8 and 9, it was Peter who guided the church through the persecution of Herod in Acts chapter 12, which we've looked at. So he's no slouch. He's accomplished quite a bit. And as we get to the end of Acts chapter 12, we've reached the, the midpoint chronologically of the book of Acts. In other words, Acts chapters 1 through 12 takes us from about the year 30 AD to about the year 44 or 45 AD. And as we move into Acts chapters 13 through 28 dealing with Paul's ministry, we go from AD 45 to AD 60 or 62. So we're about halfway through. The first 15 years focus on Peter. The next 15 years of the book of Acts focus on the Apostle Paul. So since we're saying farewell to Peter, I thought it would be wise to do two things this Sunday and next Sunday. This Sunday we're going to sort of sum up Peter's life and his ministry, his philosophy, his teachings, his practices that we find in the book of Acts and in the book of 1 Peter. And then next Sunday, in order to sort of step back and recap the book of Acts and introducing the book of Acts, we're going to introduce the Apostle Paul. So we're not going to actually dive into chapter 13 in too much depth, but I want to just take a second and introduce who Paul is and what he did and all that we know about him so far from the book of Acts. But today, you'll need to be looking at the book of 1 Peter. Because we're going to go through that and we're going to notice some similarities. There was something in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts that sort of stood out to me in glaring terms, in, in, in finest detail, that I didn't take the time to really point out as we were going through the book of Acts. But it is something that I think is significant. And maybe if we had not just gone through First Peter, I wouldn't have noticed these things. But having just dealt with Peter's epistle in First Peter, I noticed as we went through Acts chapter 1-12 to that there are some very strong similarities between what Peter teaches in 1 Peter and how Peter ministered in Acts 1-12. through In other words, he was a consistent man. All that he did in his life and his ministry and everything that was a priority to him, he communicated those things in his writings, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So as we look at 1 Peter and then we look at Acts 1-12, through we say, man, there are some striking similarities there. Where Peter did in the book of Acts exactly what he taught others to do, in 60 or 62 A.D. when he wrote the book of 1 Peter. So we're going to look at those things. And I have to tell you at the outset, I had about a dozen that I could have chosen to speak on this morning. And I chose four. And I chose the four that I did because they are most foundational, most fundamental, most basic to life and to ministry and I think to the Apostle Peter. I could have chosen a lot of similarities. For instance, there's doctrinal similarities. In the book of 1 Peter, for instance, Peter emphasizes the sovereignty of God in suffering, salvation, and sanctification. Those are major themes in the book of 1 Peter. God is sovereign in your suffering, He is sovereign in your salvation, and He is sovereign in your sanctification. That is making you holy and growing you up as a believer. Those come out in 1 Peter. Then when you turn to the book of Acts and you read through it, you see Peter using words like this. When he would address the Sanhedrin, Jesus Christ was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He was the Lamb crucified from eternity past before the foundation of the world. That is to say that God is sovereign. And that came out in everything that Peter spoke of. They would use words like, God granted to you repentance. God grants repentance to the Gentiles also. Things like that. Indicating that even in what Peter said in the early days of Acts, indicated that in Peter's mind, God was sovereign in their suffering, in their salvation, and in their sanctification. You could give a whole message on those three things. Another one, remember 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, you're familiar with that? Set apart Christ as Lord 
in your heart and be ready to give to anybody who asks a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and meekness. Do you ever see Peter doing that? Acts chapter 2, he stood up and the crowd said, they're drunk. Peter used the opportunity to explain to them the hope that he had within him. The 3,000 people got saved. Acts chapter 3, after he healed the beggar, everybody crowded around him to hear, and Peter gave a message. It's 1 Peter 3.15. With gentleness and reverence, Peter gave a reason for the hope that he had. Acts chapter 4 and 5, when he was drug in in front of the Sanhedrin, and they quizzed him and questioned him and, and threatened to uh, flog him and then and, and release him, or even to threaten to kill him, what did Peter do? With gentleness and meekness, he gave them a reason for the hope that is in them. And with and we looked at this in Acts 4 and 5. With such a subtle hand, he turned it right back on them so that they would be ashamed, really, for what they had done to the Son of God. So what you see Peter teaching in First Peter, you see him modeling in the book of Acts. So the four that I chose. First, Peter taught and he modeled a commitment to the Word of God. And I want you to look at First Peter chapter 1, picking it up in verse 23. Peter says, You have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. Peter says you have been saved not from seed which rots, not from the type of seed that you put in the ground and it's absorbed into the ground and nothing comes up and it perishes or it grows for a little while and then withers away. What is it that has saved you? What is Peter saying? You have been saved by the seed which is the Word of God. All flesh is like grass. It grows up and it perishes and it withers away and dries up in the sun. But Peter says not so with the Word of God. The Word of God is living and enduring and it endures forever. And this is the Word, Peter says, that was preached to you. In Peter's mind, it was the Word of God that was preached to those people to whom he wrote that had brought about their salvation. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. That's why we need preachers. James chapter 1 verse 18, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. What is it that saves? It's the Word of God. It is the Word of God confronting a sinful heart that sheds light on that darkness and sheds truth on their error and convicts them and brings them to faith in Christ. That is why Peter says, you have been saved by the imperishable Word and this is the Word that was preached to you. Friends, how you view the Word of God will influence and affect everything you do and everything you are. If you believe that it is the Word of God that calls men out of darkness into light, that takes dead men and makes them alive in Christ and seats them with God in the heavenly places, if you believe that the Word of God does that and actually changes the heart and soul and causes a man to be brought forth in the Word of truth, then the Word of God will influence everything you do. Don't ever think that you do an unsaved person a favor by hiding the Word of God from them. If they need to hear about Christ, they don't need your words because they lack power. They lack influence. And the Spirit has not promised to use your words. He has promised to use His Word. And He brings us forth by the Word of truth. Martin Luther had it right. He said, the Word comes first. And with the Word, the Spirit breathes on my heart so that I believe. That's it, folks. The Word comes first. And with the Word, the Spirit breathes on my heart so that I believe. 
That's why Peter says, you've been born again by the Word of God. It is necessary for your salvation. That's what Peter taught. Is that what Peter actually did? Well, Acts chapter 2, what happened? Day of Pentecost, Peter gets up to deliver a sermon, and what does he do? Oh, he sings a song, does a drama, a dance, slideshow. What does he do? He preaches the Word. He gives an exposition of two Old Testament texts, Joel chapter 2 and Psalm chapter 16. Probably a long sermon, probably much longer than what Luke records for us, but it is an exposition of the Old Testament. Was it effective? 3,000 people got saved. Did Peter present to them some watered-down, softened-down version of the Gospel? Did he make them laugh and tell them stories and then slip in a little Gospel light at the end so that they could get saved? No, that's not what he did. He preached the Word. Why? Because he's convinced that God brings us forth by the Word of truth. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. He understood what Paul would later write to Timothy. Timothy, in season, out of season, preach the Word. Why? There's nothing else that has the power to save a sinner or to sanctify a sinful life but the preaching of the Word. Acts chapter 3, Peter gives his message in the temple. Know what it is? Quotation of the prophets, Moses gives an exposition of the Old Testament. Acts chapters 4 and 5, standing before the Sanhedrin, what does Peter do? He gives an exposition of Psalm 118. Every time he had the opportunity, he shared not his own thoughts, not his own interpretation of a text, not some watered-down version, not what his own testimony, not what would make people feel good or him feel good. He shared the Word. People would ask him, what's the reason for the hope that's in you? I'm glad you asked. Here's what Holy Scripture says. And if you don't like that, then I can't do anything about it. But it was the preaching of the Word. It's not only necessary for our salvation, or critical to our salvation, but also our sanctification. Look at chapter 2 of 1 Peter. The chapter break really doesn't do us a service there because it's the same subject. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Like just now born babies, like a brand new newborn infant, have a craving for the pure milk of the Word. Why? For your sanctification, for your growth, that you may be growed up in the Word. This is what so influenced Peter's life and his ministry. It was all about the Word. For our salvation, for our sanctification. And when the Word of God is neglected in your life or in my life or in the preaching and teaching ministry of a church, guess what happens? All of the believers become tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Nobody's stable. Nobody's able to have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Why? Because they don't know the Word. Peter says you and I should have a longing and a craving for the Word. Why? so that we may grow in respect to our salvation. You cannot grow as a believer without this Word. It is this Word that brings you forth to newness of life. It is this Word that matures you in new life. You need it for your salvation. You need it for your sanctification. That's what Peter taught. Is that what Peter modeled? How did Peter conduct his ministry? It says daily they met in the temple and Peter taught them. They were committed to the apostles' doctrine to the breaking of bread of fellowship and to prayer. What was the emphasis of his ministry? He knew that it's not just enough to, to have these new believers come to the Lord through the Word, but in Acts chapter 2 it says that daily they met in the temple, and this is what the apostles did. They taught these new believers the Scriptures. Because Peter understood that that is the means and the method, that is the God-ordained way in which believers grow in their faith in Christ, is to be taught the Word. 
Acts chapter 8, after the Samaritans come to Christ, what does Peter do? Stays in Samaria a few little while and he teaches them. Acts chapter 10, he stays with Cornelius after Cornelius comes to faith. And the implication in Acts 10 is that he taught them. This is what the apostles did. They taught and they taught and they taught and they preached and they taught over and over. That's all they did. That was what so consumed them. Why? Because Peter taught and he modeled a commitment to the Word of God. Friends, do you have that kind of a commitment in your own life and in your own ministry? Second thing Peter taught and modeled was a love for the church. First Peter chapter two, beginning at verse four, I want you to describe, I want you to listen as Peter describes this institution, this body of Christ, which is God's church. Verse four, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Notice how he quotes the Scriptures, right? Uh, sometime go through and just just number the quotations from the Old Testament that Peter uses in his wording, and you'll show, see how committed he is to the Scriptures. Thus it is contained in Scripture, verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter had a love for the church. And it comes through in his writings. He speaks of it in glowing terms. The church is a spiritual house built out of living stones. The chief cornerstone is Christ Himself. And every stone is intimately related to Him. And together as living stones, you and I are placed in this building which is God's church. And we are together being built up as a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are a spiritual priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. A chosen race. Listen to those terms that he uses to describe the church. He loved the church. Why did he love the church? Because Christ shed His blood for it. That's why he loved it. Folks, I'm not talking about an institution. I'm not talking about a hierarchy. I'm not talking about liturgy. I'm talking about the elect. I'm talking about the chosen. I'm talking about the church, His sheep, the body of Christ, the living bride for which Christ shed His blood and that bride for which He washes her and sanctifies her by the Word so that He may present her to Himself as a bride without spot or blemish, without any wrinkle, glorious before His throne with exceeding joy. That is the church. That is the glorious nature of the church. And it's that that Peter committed his whole life and his ministry to. And you read in his epistle, this is what the church is. The chosen ones. Friends, you are the ones who before eternity, for no reason that you or I know, based upon nothing in you, He chose you in Christ. That you should be holy and blameless before Him in love. You have been incorporated into this spiritual temple, this spiritual house, and you're a living stone, quarried out of the mass of humanity 
and brought to the building site and placed in this living temple, spiritual temple, in which the Spirit of God dwells. That is a beautiful picture. Peter loved the church. He was committed to the church. That's what he taught. Is that what he did? Acts chapter 2, where do you see Peter? Meeting daily with the believers in the temple. Meeting daily house to house. Wherever the church was at, that's where Peter was at. Teaching, preaching, ministering, fellowshipping, worshiping, with discipling all of those believers. He was committed to the church. He loved the church. He oversaw the bringing in of the Samaritans into the church. He gave his whole life to the church. He ministered for the church. Everything was for God's elect. And Paul was the same way, by the way. 2 Timothy chapter 1. For this reason, Paul said, I endure all things for the sake of those who are the chosen, that they too may obtain salvation which is in Jesus Christ. Paul, why do you do what you do? For the church. Everything for him was the church. And once again, not some institution, but the living, breathing body of Christ which is his elect. His loved ones, the ones for whom He shed His blood, His sheep for whom He died that hear His voice and come to Him. Everything was for that body. And you're tempted to say, uh, Jim, look, I can become a believer and I can be a believer and I can serve the Lord effectively, but I don't need the church. I really don't like the church and have no use for the church. You're deceived. And you've been lied to if you believe that. You cannot love Christ and not love what He loves. You cannot be absolutely, totally committed to Jesus Christ and not be absolutely, totally committed to what He is totally committed to. It'd be like I'm saying, I love my wife, I just don't want to be around her. Just don't want to have anything to do with her. Just don't want to sacrifice for her. Just don't want to do anything for her. I love my wife, I just don't like spending time with her. Just have no use for her. It's a lie. And the man who says that is a liar. And so is the man who says, I love Christ, but I don't love the brethren. I love Christ, I just don't like being around His bride. I love Christ. I just don't want anything to do with the thing that He gave His blood for, that He bought, that He purchased. I love Christ. I just don't want anything to do with that entity that before time He said, I'll die for that entity because I love it so much. Peter loved the church. That's what he taught and that's what he modeled. That's what he did in the book of Acts. Third, not only did he teach and model a commitment to the Word and a love for the church, but third, Obedience in suffering. It hasn't been that long since we finished the book of 1 Peter. You probably remember that the book was written to Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire about a year, maybe a year and a half at the most prior to or maybe right after the beginning of Nero's persecution where he would roll believers in tar and light them on fire to light his garden parties. And, and he blamed Christians for burning down Rome. And that persecution is right at the time that Peter writes First Peter. So he is, he is standing on the brink of the largest, most brutal, most bloody persecution that the church would see for years or had ever seen up to that point in time. And he writes to Christians to encourage them in their suffering and to give them some some solace and some comfort and some instruction of how it is that they should suffer for Christ. And the whole epistle really is written around and revolves around that idea that God is sovereign in our suffering, that He has a purpose in it, and so this is to be our attitude. And what does Peter say? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. Peter points us to Christ. And he says, You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, 
who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And the teaching really is quite simple. Christ is your example in suffering. He did nothing worthy of death. He did nothing worthy of suffering. He did nothing that was worthy of any man's scorn or any man's hatred or any man's violence. Yet when he suffered, he didn't revile. He didn't utter threats. He didn't condemn. He prayed for his persecutors. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent, he didn't open his mouth. He said nothing when he was questioned. He was quiet. And he endured all of that suffering unjustly at the hands of men. And so he's our example. So that's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Are you kidding me? Keep on rejoicing in my sufferings? So that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. Verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in this name. For it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. If you suffer, Peter says, follow the example of Christ and count it a good thing. And if you suffer, don't suffer as an evildoer. If you suffer because you've done something evil, if you suffer because you won't submit to authority, if you suffer because you've done something wrong, good on you. You deserve that. But don't suffer as an evildoer. Suffer for what is right. And when it comes, bask in it. Rejoice in it. I get to suffer for the sake of Christ. And then entrust your souls to a faithful God who does what is right. And entrust your soul to a faithful Creator. That's Peter's advice. That's all easy to say, isn't it? Oh yeah, any one of you could have said all of that. It's easy to say. It's a whole other thing to do. But did Peter do it? Acts chapter 3 is arrested. He's thrown in prison. The next day he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And they say, what are you doing teaching in this name? We don't want you teaching anymore in this name. And Peter says, we have to obey God rather than men. Should we obey you at the expense of obeying God? So they warned them to teach no longer in this name. Guess what they did? They did what was right. They suffered as being believers, for being believers. And they went right out and they taught in that name. And so they're arrested again, all twelve apostles, and they're brought in before the Sanhedrin. And they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, we solemnly warned you to testify, to testify and to teach no longer in this name. And Peter said, we have to obey God rather than men. Basically, do to us whatever you see fit. And so what did they do? They flogged the apostles in Acts chapter 4 and then let them go. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter uh, 4 that when the apostles left the presence of the council, they rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. 
It's exactly what he did. Peter did in Acts what he taught in 1 Peter. He had a commitment to the Word. He had a love for the church. And he was obedient in the midst of suffering. The fourth thing that Peter taught and modeled was service to other people. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, and as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What Peter taught? Use your gifts in serving other people. Whatever it is that God has gifted you with, get involved in serving. If He has gifted you with a speaking gift, a teaching gift, then get involved somewhere in the church in in teaching other people, in manifesting that gift in the body and in the ministry of the church. If God has gifted you in serving other people, maybe your calling and your job is to do stuff behind the scenes and, and sort of play out your ministry where people don't notice. Get involved. Don't sit and sour. Don't rot. Don't let your spiritual muscles atrophy. Employ, as a good steward of the grace God has given you, your gifts in serving others to the glory of Christ. That is what Peter taught the believers. Is that what Peter did? Peter was a gifted teacher. What did he do? He taught. He was a gifted preacher. What did he do? He preached. He was gifted with evangelism. What did he do? Went to the Samaritans. Went to Cornelius. Went to Joppa. Went to Lydda. He was a shepherd. What did Peter do? He went and visited the believers in Lydda and in Joppa and in Caesarea and in Samaria and outside of Jerusalem. He was gifted with miracles. What did Peter do? He used those miracles, that miraculous gift in healing the lame man at the, at, at the temple gate in raising the Dorcas from the dead, in healing the Ananias, I think it was at Lydda. That's how Peter used his ministry. That's what Peter did. He had been given gifts of grace, and Peter said, I will use those gifts to serve other people in the church. And so he poured out his life to other believers. All the way to the end, that's what Peter did. And he modeled 1 Peter chapter 4, 9, and 10 in Acts chapter 6, do you remember when the, the benevolent ministry got too much for Peter and the rest of the apostles to oversee the serving of food to the widows as well as the preaching and teaching ministry? And what did Peter say and the rest of the apostles? It's not good for us to neglect the Word of God to wait tables. So Peter found a bunch of men who were gifted in terms of service and assigned that task to them, Peter said, so that we can give ourselves to the Word of God in prayer. In other words, in Peter's mind, this is what I've been called to do and this is going to be my focus and I'm going to do that in the body of Christ. And I'm going to turn over other areas which are not my focus and I'm going to give those to other people in the body of Christ and let them serve the body with their gifts. He taught and he modeled a commitment to the Word, a love for the church, obedience and suffering, and sacrificial service to other people. Peter oversaw a church that went from 120 people to countless thousands of people spread in cities all over Judea and all over Samaria in less than 15 years. How did he do that? How can you be so effective? How can you be such a vessel, such a tool in the hands of God to be used like that? The answer is real simple, friends. Nobody has an effective or enduring ministry without those four qualities. A commitment to the Word, a love for Christ's church, obedience in the midst of suffering, and sacrificial service to others. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You that You call us to serve other people and to love Your Word. 
And we pray, Father, that you would work a work of grace in our hearts. And where we have a love for the Word, give us a passion and a zeal for that Word. And where we have a love for the church, give us a sacrificial love for the church. The type of love that Christ had for those that He shed His blood for. And Father, when we have opportunity to suffer, we pray that you give us the ability to obey you in the midst of it, to rejoice, and to entrust our souls to you. And Lord, where we have opportunity to serve others, I pray that you would give us the grace to pour out our hearts with zeal to serving the body of Christ in order that Christ may be glorified in his church for time and for eternity. We ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.